Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who have chiseled good looks in their joinery. Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it's Wood Talk number 427 for March 19th, 2018. On today's Yay! show, we're, we're back, back, right? It's a big deal. And actually, actually, we are back a week ahead of schedule. Take that. What do you think of that, people? <laughs> so yeah, I actually did, uh, when I put up the, the last little uh, audio update... I wasn't sure whether I'd be back on time, and it turns out that I was back on time. Uh, but I wanted to buffer that in a little bit just in case the trip ran long. So we're uh, we're a week ahead of time, and I think it, I think it's good because I think people were uh, getting kind of excited. Not well, excited in a bad way. They thought we quit. They thought we finally threw in the towel and said, "Screw this crap. We're not doing this podcast anymore." But no, we're 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 back. We're back in full effect. We're just not talking about wood anymore. No, we've changed we've the format. Totally different show. Uh, what are we going to talk about, all, guys? All inside baseball, all the time. Oh, God. That's what we need. That's, that's a good idea. Uh, okay, so today's topics. Not talking about inside baseball. We're going to talk about yoga blocks, sources for turning blanks, projects with your kids, and wedges for leg vices. And, of course, today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Brusso Hardware. Brusso is the premier manufacturer of American-made brass and stainless steel hardware, with customers using these products for a variety of projects, ranging from boxes, furniture, and cabinetry. Brusso has the perfect item to complement your next project. Sign up for their newsletter to keep up with the latest in uh, sales and announcements, customer-submitted photos, and more. To see their line of hardware, visit their website at brusso.com. And here's the best thing, the best part about it, use the coupon code WOODTALK. At checkout, that's W O O D T A L K, and then you'll get ten percent off your order. It's pretty awesome. So that's at Brusso.com. Thank you so much for sponsoring the show, Brusso. We appreciate your support, and we'd like to thank some individuals who helped us out, namely on Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash/WoodTalk. Uh, James is one of those people, and we got a bunch of names. Bear with me. I'm going to go really fast. Ready? How about I just do... Nah, I was going to do first names, but that's... Uh, I think people should be fully recognized. Uh, Ted Sharfin, Ryan Marametz, Henrik Peterson, Chris McCoy, Brian Collette, Stefan, Chevy Rock 14, Chet Kloss, Kevin Lyman, Drew Smith, Matt Adams, Jeremiah Corum, James Alexander, Wes Haggy, Chuck Lebedo, Kevin Scruggs, and Nolan McDarnamar. Thank you so much, folks, for helping us out. We appreciate it. So just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. You'll see all the info there. You want to help us support the show? Totally optional, but we absolutely appreciate your support, even when we don't do a show for like three weeks. <laughs> I was I was really expecting to see Seriously. like so-and-so uh, has canceled, <laughs> canceled their Patreon account. Yeah, uh, but no, it, it seems like people stuck with us and we appreciate that. <laughs> what, I, what I found interesting is the, <clears throat> the unannounced part of the hiatus um, you know, people were emailing saying what's going on. I hope you didn't quit. 
And then I started getting donations on my site <laughs> with, with little notes like, you know, hope hope to see some things from you, you know, now that Wood Talk is gone. Yeah. So this is actually quite financially, uh, this was worthwhile for It's me. been good for so, business, huh? <laughs> I made like 15 or $20 in donations. It was great. Matt, did you see your Patreon go up a little bit? No, I don't think it did. Hmm. Maybe they blame you for the, well, I guess... Yeah, whenever anyone asked me why we weren't doing a show, I pretty much blamed it on Matt. So I guess that's why he's not he's not getting any money. Well, I mean, all of the major upheavals in the Wood Talk history have been due to Matt. So that's right. That is actually true. It is. It's very (laughs) accurate. Well, so uh, getting into what's on the bench today, we're just going to pretty much focus on my trip to Seattle, I guess. And then uh, <laughs> yeah, just gonna talk gonna about, talk about me. me. Yeah. That's really all that happened. And I'm, I'm the most important person on the show. Uh, I feel but like when you theme music, some sort of like traveling music is, uh, is Mark regales us from tales from the road Tales from Seattle. And well, next on the week road with Mark Spagnolo. Yeah. Next week we'll do the what's on the bench segments for you guys. So we'll kind of split it up a little bit here. Uh, so I did go to Seattle. I was gone for about two weeks. That's a long time for someone who doesn't like leaving home. And uh, a two-day two drive each way. So I lost just four days in travel for this whole thing. Uh, went up to Daryl Peart's shop, worked with him on the Fremont Nightstand, which is a future guild project. And then went to Anne uh, from Anne of All Trades, went to her shop and did a project, a writing desk. And it turned out to be sort of a, a little more modern um, design than like a mid-century modern design. And we kind of didn't anticipate that, but that's where it ended up. And uh, so it was about four four days at each person's shop and was pretty crazy uh, filming on location. A lot of, lot of little lessons there just because I'm usually on the other side of the camera and don't have the option to do some of the things that I was doing uh, while actually filming other people. Um, so it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Daryl Peart's shop is like cavernous. It's a very large building. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> and it, it, I don't know the exact number. It's probably like 20, over 2,000 like, square feet. Like April Wilkerson huge? Yes. Um, but well, maybe not. Or, that or, or, or Laura Camp huge. I don't know if you guys saw her Instagram today, but she has like an industrial warehouse with like an overhead crane now. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I think April's shop could probably also suffice as like an Amazon distributor warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That, that might Drones be she, flying around. No yeah, that's what she's it. doing in the back half of the shop. Um, but yeah, it's pretty big. And it was, you know, a building that was built a while ago. So there's a lot of walls and things and, and walls that were knocked down to expand the space. So he's just got a lot of rooms. So you have like a, a primary machine room and then there's the hand tool room. And he kind of um, teaches classes from his shop as well. And that's that's really conducive if you've got uh, different things going on in different parts of the shop. It's actually nice to have that separation. Um, but a very different shop over at Ann's place, which is uh, basically just one, I would say like a medium-sized room. It's kind of like, I guess if you take about the space of maybe a two-car garage, uh, that's about the size that she has. But it's a dedicated space just for that uh and she she for some reason got the biggest bandsaw i have ever seen <laughs> ever and that's like taking up half of the shop so i hope she likes bandsawing stuff because <laughs> she doesn't leave a lot of room for other things in there she she bought it just to make those little reindeer you that's know. really all oh, it is. Wow. She's, she wants to compete with uh, Alex. You need Snodgrass. a 48-inch bandsaw <laughs> in order to do that. Yeah, so this thing is massive. Um, but it, it was really, really fun working on these projects. Uh, I would say the, the one with Anne was a little bit more of a collaborative thing. Uh, with Daryl, I was just kind of, you know, kind of directing him a little bit. But this is a class he's taught before. Like, he knew, he knew exactly what he was doing, exactly how far we needed to go. And I just was there holding on for dear life and trying to capture everything that I could. <laughs> so here's the coolest thing that I wanted to talk about and to get your guys thoughts on this. You know how as hobbyist woodworkers or people who aren't depending on the final product of, of the woodworking, we're not depending on that for our living. Um, we tend to look at things differently. And when it comes to someone who's a professional and Daryl has a background in this stuff, he's been in production, he's worked in numerous shops over the years, and he's kind of always made a living with his woodworking. Uh, his priorities and the way that he does things, it's just a different outlook. And this is going to be very eye-opening and, and compelling, I think, for for guild members who watch this build and watch Daryl, who's very highly respected for, for the, the designs that he comes up with and uh, his play on, on Green and Green, and watching him build this thing primarily with a biscuit joiner. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to blow some people's minds. 
And, and and now that here's the thing, there's, there's a difference between biscuit joiners. There's the, you know, ones that you spend like, I don't know, what are they like 120 bucks or something at home Depot, uh, Makita, DeWalt, uh, Porter cable. I think Ryobi has one too. Uh, but then you have the Lamello and the Mello, the Lamello, they've got a couple models, but I believe the, the starting price, if you just want to get in that game is 600 bucks. What? So, so we're not talking about a cheap biscuit joiner. We're talking about like a really well-made, well-engineered, uh, you know, heavy-duty fence. So it's a lot more reliable. The biscuits tend to fit a little bit better, and even the quality of the biscuits themselves seems like it's a little bit better material. So that's what he's using, and I'm gonna have to sort of show this to guild members in a way that says, well, if you have a biscuit joiner, you can do this stuff. Well, exactly what we're doing. So I just thought it was cool to see the professional perspective because his goal is to make as many of these as he can as quick as possible without extra stuff that doesn't need to be there. Right. And if, if the biscuits mm-hmm. are strong enough to hold this thing together for a reasonable number of lifetimes, then why bother doing full scale mortise and tenon joints? Why bother uh, datoing and rabbiting everything? If these biscuit joints are good enough, it's invisible to the customer. You know, the customer has no idea. And as long as it doesn't break, there's no problem at all. So I just thought that was super interesting and, and eye opening to to see this much emphasis on something that a lot of, you know, quote unquote, fine woodworkers would immediately dismiss. Well, hobbyist fine woodworkers. Yes. Hobbyist <laughs> fine woodworkers. <laughs> well, I mean, wasn't Krenoff like a huge fan of dowels? Yes. Yeah. A lot and of that's his another one that's kind dowels. of like, you know, a lesser joint or something like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, Krenoff is a modern master and Daryl Peart is a modern master. So it's the hobbyists. We're the ones who are wrong, I guess. I would totally agree with that. I do think we're wrong. I think there it's, you know, well, maybe there's no wrong and right. I think we're right for what we're trying to accomplish, but yeah, to then pass motivation. Yeah. To, to pass judgment on someone who chooses to use these other methods. That's the wrong part. If, if, if that's yeah. what we're doing. So that was cool. Um, and then in Ann's shop, it was a little bit more of, you know, traditional mortise and tenon joints. We did like a, a through bridle joint with a little bit of a, like a proud, the tenons just about an eighth of an inch proud on the sides and some draw boring, a little bit more classic techniques. But the crazy thing is we spent the same amount of time and built something that is fundamentally and in every possible way simpler. But it took the same amount of time as what we did at Daryl's shop, which, you know, for the complexity of that project to get it done in that period of time. Uh, well, it speaks to Daryl's preparation as well, because the guy had like three versions of this thing in various <laughs> stages of development that made life uh, easier. It's like real TV show. It was really nice. that kind of like TV magic. Like when I went up to um, uh, Tommy Max deal up there in Boston yes. with that show, yes. there's like 20 <laughs> versions of this project so that we could film it in six hours. So yeah, I wasn't. Quite I remember the last time I was at the the Woodwright School. <clears throat> Roy was prepping, was building an infield shaker cabinet for the show, the mm-hmm. upcoming season, and he ended up making like six versions of it over the course of the week that I was there because he was the bench behind me, which yeah. is incredibly distracting, by the way, to work next to Roy Underhill. And it was like, didn't you already build that cabinet? It's like, well, now I've got to build one for this shot. Now I've got to build one for this shot. It's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy. Six, I can't, I can't even imagine. Like I, I'm, I don't even make a prototype. Like even when I should, <laughs> Yeah. you know what I mean? Like, could you imagine uh-huh. prototyping all this stuff out and then filming it? Like the way we do it, it's that that's just not going to work. I mean, the, the closest I ever came to that was the dining chair because for a chair, if it's not a design that's already been worked out, you have to, like, I don't know how you could do Well, you, you don't have to, but you better be ready to compromise. <laughs> With, with the end, you, you better, you better drawing, nail it on the first funny. go. Yeah, yeah. And my compromise is a full size drawing. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> like exactly. The, you know, with every every angle, like actual worked out. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. What I find interesting is the um, you know, you say the time it took to build the the more minimal kind of mid century style desk, but yet I would think that like traditionally mid century used a lot of those techniques that Daryl's using most likely because they were, you you look at a lot of the miter joints and things on mid century furniture and there are biscuits in there, you know? So Daryl's using, uh, what green and green was what early 20th century stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and he's using, well, still 20th century, late 20th century technology in the mid century, like became all atomic age funky because of all the, 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 
new quick joinery mass produced methods sure. that we could use. So Anne's using 18th century, 16th, shoot, first century joinery techniques <laughs> yeah. to make a mid-century piece. The ironing is delicious. Well, here's the coolest thing. Uh, in order to do this for the guild, Daryl had to go back to some older techniques that he used to use because Daryl has a CNC now. <laughs> so most of these projects, and again, when we're looking at what tools someone chooses to use, if the Green Brothers and the Halls, who did most of their actual building, if they had an access, access to CNC, you bet your life they would be using it. Right, If they can get the same result without sacrificing quality, but they just get it faster, they would totally use it. So he is using this to cut his legs. He pre-drills the locations for all of the ebony plugs. So all he has to do is chop them that's square. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, the joinery <laughs> oh, is all done. That's sweet. nice. It's insanely <laughs> efficient. And he even showed me some legs that were in process where he, he cut around and they still had a little bit of material on the back end. So they're kind of still attached to one another. Mm -hmm. And he just kind of removes that material and then boom, there's your leg. So it's, it's, it's an amazing process to watch, but he actually had to refresh his memory on how he used to do it because <laughs> we can't just on the, in the guild, we can't just be like, Oh, well push this button on the CNC and boom, you're done. You know? Well, you could. Yeah. Well, and the funny thing is a lot of times people ask us about, you know, will, and even on this show, we've answered the question, will we incorporate CNC? And most of the time I just think of CNC in terms of templates, you know, like I would love to have one to just knock out perfect templates that I don't even have to think about it. The curve is perfectly symmetrical and all that stuff, but that's so one dimensional in, in terms of what you can actually do with it. Watching what someone like Daryl does with CNC really changes the game. And you, I could see why he doesn't. Now, I still wouldn't want to do that because I, derive a lot of enjoyment out of doing some of these things in a more manual way. But the distance between what I'm doing and what that CNC is doing is actually not that great. And if the end goal is to make a thing, the CNC is just the way to do it. Like it's it just, it's so perfect. I'm curious, any particular surprises now, granted you didn't, you didn't really get to see the CNC method, but yeah. green and green, you know, the hallmark of it is all the details mm -hmm. and you know, I imagine Daryl's gotten really good at finding those, for lack of a better term, shortcuts where he needs to, because there is still a lot of handwork, totally you know, rasping and rounding over of yeah. finger joints and pillowing of pegs and, you know, all of the, that, that little indent detail you find on the bottom of legs yep. and what is that, a gamble detail? Maybe that's blacker detail, whatever, you know, those little tiny things have, have to, I think have to be done by hand. Um, has he been able to find ways to automate those types of things at no, all i mean is no. he there, creating roundovers on certain things and yeah i mean he'll he'll just use the regular roundover bit but even a, the way the roundover bit is done is only part of the process because mm -hmm. the the green and green style there's no facets there's no hard lines so yeah, it's curves are so much more organic than just yeah. quarter so, inch roundover. <laughs> exactly. So even when you hit an edge with a roundover bit, you're going to have a point where the roundover bit cut stopped and then the flat of the workpiece begins. And right. his job is to take sandpaper and to make that facet just blend in perfectly. So there are no true hard lines anywhere. Uh, if you have proud fingers, let's say on the, the drawers, for instance, you can't do that without, you know, handwork. So he is still spending um, a significant amount of time doing all of those fine details by hand. But if you take out right. all of the milling and all the joinery and all those other variables and all you're just you're dumping all these parts that now have to be assembled and finessed, it's still a lot of work. But man, does it save you some time? Yeah, it's like those old model kits you used to build when I was a kid. You got to take them off the little like frame. <laughs> yeah. And snap yeah, them off. Clean up all the little yeah. attachment points. Yeah, you know, clean up the nubs. Get rid of the mold marks. and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was it was awesome. a pretty incredible experience to to see that happen. And as far as... Uh, Anne's place, it was, you know, wood, it was very much like I do in my own shop in terms of the woodworking, except for with farm animals. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Did you did you milk something? She nothing was ready for milking. I guess the goats <laughs> nothing was prepared to be milked. So the goats, I guess she milks them, but they weren't I, I think it's like a seasonal thing. So she said she usually gets like tons of goat milk and they don't they don't drink any cow milk. So she just drinks fresh goat milk. And I would have really liked to have like really? a bowl of Cheerios. I mean, with some that, that shows my total ignorance of farm life. Like I thought you milked them every day. <laughs> Is that just um, cows? I think, it, I don't know. I don't know. 
And I, and I Maybe wouldn't, she just didn't want you touching her animals. Well, that could be it too. Um, yeah. and I just wonder there's, there must be seasonal things with this. Like for instance, uh, you can make an, a, a chicken lay eggs all year long, but if you never let them have a break, it may not be as healthy for them necessarily. So you give them like time off. <laughs> so Is that how you get those little mini eggs. Yeah. So you I mean, give them time off. And that's the other thing. She gets tons of eggs. I had like fresh from the chicken's butt eggs for breakfast. Oh, those I don't, I don't know if you understand how egg laying works. I really but. don't. I just think they, they poop. Them out. What do I know? Um, so, but they, it was awesome. I mean, the, you don't get any more farm fresh than that. It was fantastic. But no milking. I was really disappointed. We talked about possibly trying to milk the llamas, but apparently their little booby things are, they're really small. So, and they don't like to be touched. They're very standoffish. Oh, oh <laughs> but, man. But I'll tell you, man, you're working. And then the, you see like goose heads walking past the window because the ground is raised <laughs> outside the shop. So you're trying to work and there's just a goose walking by. And then there's a goat that gets out and she has to go chase the goat around the, the farm to get it back in its pen. <laughs> like it's, it's a whole thing. <laughs> oh, like man. In there. Good stuff. So anyway. It's like for you when the dogs get out. Right. Exactly. Except for here, I just wait till someone calls me and says, I found your dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier that way. So that was it. So I've got all this content now, uh, a lot of editing to do, um, little, there, a few things still need to be done on the writing desk. So Anna's going to film those and get that footage back to me. But this is a very different way of doing things. And I just hope everything works out because it's, it's stressful to like be in charge of all of this raw footage <laughs> and maybe not even be able to edit it for a while. So of course I've got like quadruple copies of this stuff and I got to get some up on the cloud and, and then hopefully everything will still work when the time comes to work with it. Crazy stuff. Man. Fine. Yeah, I hope so. So let's get into what's new. Uh, Shannon, why don't you get started there? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Matt Cummel sent this to me. It's a, uh, it's an article <clears throat> in the New York times about uh, a woodworker who was able to fool an antiques dealer. He made a civil war era secretary and this thing is, it is different. I'll just say that. I, I took a look at it. You know, I have this image similar to like what Matt built. When you say secretary, I think yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. This is still a secretary. You could still see the form, but it's just a very different look. It's almost like empire secretary version. But the the level of detail in this thing and essentially this woodworker kind of did a history project, researched this particular um, uh, family, uh, two brothers who fought in the Civil War. And he put like letters in the secretary. So not only did he build this incredibly accurate secretary, but as I understand it, it's not like it was a reproduction. It was just kind of a reproduction of the period. Mm-hmm. And he he put letters from like the front from this this soldier back to home and like put it in the in the secretary, put mementos and kind of like <laughs> it was almost like he was trying and, and and again, this is, you know, interviewing after the fact. He's like, you know, it was never my intention to fool anybody. It was just like kind of like a labor of love mm-hmm. to really kind of dive into this um, exploration of this family. And to the point where they actually interviewed surviving relatives of that family. And, of course, they're honored. They're like, hey, I think it's great that, you know, they highlighted this family. But needless to say, um, he whether he fell on hard times or something like that, he sold it to an antiques dealer. Um, for like 65,000, I may be wrong. I haven't read the article in a couple of days, but for a lot of money, that antiques dealer auctioned it to, um, a museum for several hundred thousand dollars. Whoa. <laughs> and it was discovered later by the curators. They started to question the authenticity <laughs> of it. And then people started to dig a little deeper, dig a little deeper. And finally this woodworker kind of, as they traced it back, he came forward. He's like, no, I made it. <laughs> I'm still alive. Like I made wow. it. So, yeah, apparently the antiques dealers refunded all the money to the museum um, and, you know, the reputations are tarnished and blah, blah, blah. But still, it's a triumph for woodworkers that he was able to fool um, all of these experts. And his piece for a short while sat in a a museum as a masterpiece. But he never (laughs) had any, like, false intentions, like, with this or. Yeah, I mean, I I like I want to believe the guy, but, you know. Or, or was it that sort of like omission sort of thing where, well, I, I never yeah. said it was, but I didn't say it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, but at the same time, I mean, if he sold the piece and again, I, I'm, I may be making that number up. 60,000 sticks in my head. 
I know cabinet makers who charge that much. Yeah. You know, we we supply mahogany to cabinet makers that make <clears throat> period furniture, and they're selling it for sixty, eighty, sometimes a hundred thousand yeah. um, dollars. So that that's a that's a legitimate market price for a piece like this. So I don't think he was fooling anybody. I think the person who's really at fault is the antiques dealer, because if he thought he was buying an actual antique for sixty thousand dollars, I mean. He he knew he was robbing somebody. In other words, mm-hmm. you know. So I, who knows? I'm 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 not here to pass judgment. I just find the whole thing really cool. You know, if you can, I remember I have a um a bunch of hollows and rounds that came out of the tool chest of a carpenter who worked f- uh, who was part of the gold rush, and I was able to find a whole bunch of history on this particular carpenter and. Was able to track down some of his other tools, and I I ended up like going down this rabbit hole and learning about this guy's life, and it had absolutely nothing to do with woodworking, mm-hmm. but it was really fascinating to me, and it kind of deepened my respect and my love of those hollows and rounds. And I think this guy just did the same thing. He started digging and found you know more about these two brothers that fought in the war, and and decided his labor of love, his homage to them, was to build this incredible uh, secretary. So interesting mm. story. That's wild. Well, good yeah, stuff. One of the more ridiculous things I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> <laughs> kind of crazy. Definitely, definitely check out the show notes and check out that piece because it's like, it's it's intense. Like to it's actually different. like make to make that is like one thing, but then like make it authentic enough to pass that it happens to be passed off as being genuine. Right. Just look at the finish. You know, yeah. to, that it looks so antique. Well, it's, parts are made impressive. from horse and cow bones. Yeah. Like some of the accent pieces and stuff. That's, that's nuts. Yeah. yeah. It's intense. Wow. Cool. <laughs> so this next one is something I sent over to the guys that I had found, I think over the weekend. Mm-hmm. So there is this, um, I get, they make like photography tutorial videos that they sell and their videos or their series or whatever always get put onto BitTorrent and pirated. So for their third installment of the series, they shot a whole fake series on photogra- uh, photographing an olive garden. Uh, normally the series is on like going out and photographing like unique places in the world and they thought they would do this ridiculous like the guy doing it has like the totally straight face. I watched the whole thing I'm like this is actually pretty good content. Like if I have ever had to photograph an olive garden this is the guide for it. <laughs> yeah. but, but they put this thing out before the release of the real one and people bought it. Wow! Like they actually believe that this is the actual thing they're producing, and the best part. To be clear, of this, they didn't buy it. Sorry, yes, they, they bought, <laughs> bought it in the figure downloaded sense. it. <laughs> they legally downloaded it, and then they like really liked it. And then the best part about this is they got even more sales because of this. Because <clears throat> oh, people great. liked this so much that it in turn sold more units of the real thing. Gotta love that. What I find funny is there were people who started to figure out that it was a joke. And wrote them to complain before it had been released as a product. So the only way they could have had it is by illegally downloading from the BitTorrent. And they wrote and complained about. Oh, that's great! That's fantastic. So the the, the best part of the whole thing is shooting across the body of water. Oh know? yes. Oh my god. <laughs> there's there's a little puddle with a plastic water bottle floating in it, and he gets down low and shoots like the dumpster area of the Olive Garden across the body of water. It's so fantastic. <laughs> I gotta watch this thing. I still haven't watched it. It's, it's hilarious. Really funny. Check it out. Wonderful. Uh, all right, so we got a couple of kickback voicemails here, and the first one is from our buddy Diami. Hello, Wood Talk. This is Diami, longtime listener, first time caller. I'm calling in response to your question on episode 425 regarding the Latina bandsaw. Now. I began to hear Mark answer the question, and I paused the podcast, because I know whatever is said will be incorrect, and I felt compelled to give the right answer. Now, young man who had the question, keep the Laguna guides on. They are hands down the best guides on the market. I have had steel guides, I've had cool blocks, I've had Carter guides, and the Laguna ceramic guides. I will never buy a non-Laguna bandsaw again because the ceramic guides are that good. So buy a nice new blade, but whatever you do, don't screw up those guides. Keep the ceramic guides. 
All right. So just for fair warning, if you're going to take Diami's advice, understand that Diami still thinks that Google Plus is going to be a big thing <laughs> and listens to his <laughs> podcast on a Zoom. I, oh, yeah. I'm not saying that that affects his advice. I'm just saying take that into consideration. I mean, they're just facts <laughs> it's, it's, about the guy. I'm just sharing facts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for that, Diami. Um, Daniel called in, and uh, this is interesting. So you remember when I asked, uh, I mentioned that it would be nice if people called other shows to promote our shows, our podcast. Uh, this is what Daniel sent in. Hey, Shop Talk Live. I was cheating on you guys with another podcast, and the host kind of self-servingly wished people would give him a plug, so I thought I'd give it a shot. His name's Mark Spud Getty Goes, and he's a pretty solid woodworker, but I'm sure I could make that stuff too if I had his tools. He's got another podcast with two other lackeys. There's Matt, who I heard is actually really just a four-foot-something giggling mop, and he's got so many slabs, he just ends up making shop furniture out of them. There's Shannon, who I guess lost power to his garage and must only have one extension cord because his only real tool is a planer. Anyway, give the podcast a shot if you enjoy juvenile humor, uncontrollable giggling, and on occasion good advice. There, thought I'd try and plug them on this superior show, but wait, which number did I dial? <laughs> it was pretty good. I think my favorite part is that Shannon lost power to a shot. <laughs> You know, the the truth is, is I only just found an extension cord. I've been looking for it for like six years and right. I found it like it was out with the Christmas lights. Well, there you go. Say at Home Depot or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, the reason my planer is where it's located is I literally couldn't find an extension cord. <laughs> so it sits right next to the outlet. And, you know, it's 900 pounds. So I just never bothered to move it once I found the extension cord. That is fantastic. Uh, OK, so we've got a question here from Andrew. Wood Gods, Andrew from Naperville, Illinois. Just had a quick question about a Jay Bates video that he just put out. Um, he just built a new workbench and put a leg vise on it. And he used like a $40 uh, leg vise screw from Amazon. But he doesn't have like a like a benchcrafted crisscross or even the, uh, the dowel system at the bottom to keep the bottom from racking. He uses a wooden wedge. Uh, and just kind of kicks it into the position that he needs, depending on the thickness of the stock he's using. Just had a, a question: What you what do you guys think about that working long term for someone who's primarily hand tools? I know Jay is more of a hybrid woodworker. Um, just wondering how you guys think that would hold up over time. Looking to get a leg vise, but also not looking to drop three hundred dollars on on a a bench crafted uh crisscross vice and also i think i'm probably too lazy to use the dowel system at the bottom so just wondering if you could shed some light on that and thanks for the good show bye all right so if he's too lazy to use a dowel system yeah what makes him think the wedge is going to be any better didn't chris schwartz do something with that like a couple years ago with the wedge on the floor yeah i don't know i feel like i, I feel like i saw him do that in some video some at some point it's the yeah. same you know, principle, bench man right? it's really the I mean, same the, thing yeah, the dowel is you have a parallel guide and there are holes in the parallel guide and the dowel is preventing the bottom of the leg vise from sliding in any further. So the wedge is just physically inserting something in between. So kind of like when you there's those companies that make like the spacer blocks for. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Face vices that rack. Mm -hmm. You know, you yeah. drop the spacer block on one side and you put your workpiece on the other. Yep. <clears throat> Um, it's it's the same idea. The wedge obviously is a continually changing width as you kick it in further. Um, 
I know that I would end up sweeping that up and throwing it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't work long term. I don't have a crisscross. I've thought about getting one. Honestly, I'm too lazy to retrofit my bench at this point. <laughs> um, I want to work on my bench, not on my bench. If you follow me, um, that didn't make any sense at all. I want to build stuff on top of the bench, not work on my bench. Yeah. So, um, you know, one of these days I'll get around to doing it because there is no question it's cool. I find myself um, procrastinating if I really do need to change the dowel position. But honestly, it's not all that much. I mean, I'm working, if you're working with four quarter and eight quarter stock, for the most part, it holds really well at the same setting. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be times when I need it to grip grip a lot harder. Like if I'm resawing an eight quarter board, my frame saw puts a lot of force on it. So I do have to change the dowel peg just to get better leverage on the, on the chop. Um, but the only other time I change it is if I'm bumping up to something, you know, thicker than an eight quarter board. Um, it's very, very rare that I actually move that dowel peg. So if, if his concern is I'm too lazy to do that, um, don't really worry about it because you're really not changing it all that often. Mm-hmm. My big concern is that I would end up like losing the wedge, <laughs> kicking it. You know, it would kick under like under the bench, yeah. kind of like, you know, when you oh, drop yeah. the ball and it rolls under the car. It stops exactly dead center under the car. <laughs> yeah. I would Grab think board, that, the wedge. I would think yeah. that the peg system, the A parallel slab, guide yeah. system would nice crotch grain <laughs> slab. <laughs> the wedge. Yeah. I would think that the parallel guide system would actually be a little bit easier. I think it would I feel like that would save time. You've got preset holes that you can use. So if you're using, you know, common size pieces of stock, you know exactly which hole to throw that peg into. Um right. you know, the wedge has a little bit more variability there. I would definitely personally prefer the parallel guide over a wedge system. Well, and if you're just using a wedge, there's no parallel guide. So yeah. your only attachment of the chop is at the screw. Um so what's preventing the chop from kind of rotating? And granted, it'll bump into the ground, so it won't rotate that much. But it seems to me it would actually be almost more stress on the screw because you've got that like cantilevered stress down at the bottom of the of the of the chop. Oh, that's the leg vice at least keeps it in line, um, yeah. so that it's not the chop itself isn't racking on you. Yeah, I didn't see. Did anyone see this video? I didn't see Jay's video to see what he exactly did because that seems like that's a little goofy to have the thing just kind of wobbling and potentially rotating. Yeah. That's odd. I think it has to be close to the floor in order to make it work. So the floor stops it. That makes sense. Yeah. But you know, to, to your point, Andrew, you don't have to get bench crafted hardware. (laughs) I mean, I think Jay's got a good point here and just using an Amazon screw and the parallel guide is made out of wood. Um, I mean, I, I don't have bench crafted hardware in a leg vice because when I built my leg vice bench crafted, didn't make leg vice hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, how dare you know, they, I, I have a wooden <laughs> screw that I bought and frankly, that was kind of expensive, but everything else is the same. So there's nothing that says you can't build a leg vice, you know, for the, whatever the cost of that screw is. Heck, you can make your own screw if you want. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's like veneer press screws and stuff that you can find at Rockler and Woodcraft and Amazon, Everything else can just be made right in your shop. Yeah, and it's going to work. It doesn't matter which one of these systems you use. It will work, and you'll be able to hold you know, boards on it. So the other thing is you could always uh, retrofit later or you know, procrastinate forever like Shane yeah, is. Yeah, think about retrofitting later. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Could, you could really seriously consider it. <laughs> Whether you actually do it is up to you. Uh, all right, so if you want to leave us a voicemail, kickback, whatever, you can send those to woodtalkonline at gmail.com and just use your audio recording app on your, your phone and send that to us. We love them. Um, you're Zoom, Yami. Yes. Well, I don't even think it has that. It probably doesn't have a feature. Maybe he has to send it to Google Plus first and it con- converts the file and then we'll trigger an email and he'll get it on his PC laptop. Okay. Uh, pocket PC. Pocket PC laptop. That's right. Um <laughs> All right, so we got some of this to do. Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. You got for us, big boy. Just letting that, just letting that roll over you. Just let it slide like, down. Like warm syrup over fluffy pancakes. Mm. So good. Mm. Delicious. Yeah. So uh, in in the the hiatus time, in the time when Matt made us stop recording, 
Oh yeah, he that had, time. Uh, job that I think twenty or thirty people email me and say, "Have you heard about this?" And I was just going through the form um, on the the through the Wood Talk form, and uh, there's probably another eight people who sent in this story. Um, this is actually, it's interesting because it's coming out of the university of Maryland. So I can't remember when the story originally hit. It's been probably two or three months ago. Um, I actually reached out to this lab at university of Maryland cause it's, you know, 30 minutes South of me. And, you know, as a lumber person in the industry, as a director of marketing for a wholesale lumber company, I said, Hey, can we, can you send us a sample? We'd love to see it. It's an interesting development kind of trying to play the I'm official card. I haven't heard back yet, but I'm hoping, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping I would love to, to get my hands on some of this stuff. But the, the story is essentially uh, these researchers were able to uh, remove a lot of the stuff, mostly the lignin, about 45% of the lignin was removed through um, from the wood, leaving a bunch of open spaces. So then they compressed it under high heat and pressure and essentially tripled the density of a block of wood hmm. and now it's bulletproof um, and it's got some of the same tensile forces as titanium some of the shock resistance as titanium and it's a heck of a lot lighter than titanium so you know obviously we're in a lab at this point long long time before we're seeing this from an applications perspective but um, the reason that I specifically want to talk about this is this type of stuff is happening all across the lumber market right now um, there's no secret to the fact that you know more and more Species are getting difficult to obtain. Um, certain species are getting CITES listed and making them more more expensive and a lot lower global export. This is all good stuff from an environmental perspective. We've got to protect this stuff, but the global demand for wood continues to grow. So we've got to do something. Um, composite decking made a push about 20 years ago, and they stumbled and really caused a massive PR nightmare, which has made a lot of people really kind of – I'm not interested in composites. I'm not interested in plastic wood. I don't want any of that crap because all that that early stuff started to mold. A lot of it started to fall apart over time. And interestingly enough, um, many of these um, composite plastic decking products that came out 20 years ago, they removed all of the lignin. And this particular Maryland lab discovered if we remove too much lignin, you end up with a very brittle product. So, yeah, the density is high, but you can snap it in half, you know, because it's super brittle. And that was what was happening with a lot of the composite stuff, in addition to wood flour still molding and causing all kinds of problems. But in the intervening decades, these guys wearing white lab coats have been working really hard on composite materials. So a lot of people are probably familiar with a product called Akoya. Uh, it's been really, really popular in Europe for about 30 years now. Akoya is essentially, it's pine, um, it's radiod pine that has been treated with an ammonia solution under high temperature and high pressure. And you, it's, it's chemically modified the pine to the point where you now have a perfectly stable wood product. It, it cuts like wood. It acts like wood. It looks a little bit like pressure-treated pine. It's not quite as green. Um, it, it will clear your sinuses because of the ammonia in the, the um, <laughs> solution. Um, and when you cut it, you're like, whoa, hello. Um, it doesn't smell that way until you cut it. But um, it's an interesting product to the point where it almost doesn't move at all. And when it does move, it's actually isometric, meaning it moves the wow. same in all directions. You know, as we know, wood does not do that. Wood is anisotropic. It moves differently in each direction across tangential and radial planes. So this is a is kind of a major step forward. Akoya has been in use specifically with a lot of joinery work, doors and windows, exterior type stuff where you have high um, high need for precision. You know, when that door sticks in the winter because the wood expanded, this doesn't do that. Your windows don't stick in the winter because the wood itself is not expanding. But a Koya, to put blunt, is ugly. <laughs> it looks like <laughs> pressure-treated pine. Um, and, you know, and it, it, it's been, it's had a, a rocky road in getting acceptance to us. We, uh, we my day job, really haven't <laughs> dug into it very much because our market is is much more appearance grade and this stuff is it's pressure treated pine you know it's meant to be painted but we've begun digging around and of course now we're, we're aware of like thermally modified things anybody who's bought lee valley chisels is aware of what baked maple looks like on those handles mm -hmm. it chemically changes the properties to the point where it's almost not wood anymore you have this crystalline structure that makes it again perfectly stable completely non-movement I don't know what that word is. 
Chinese is a fancy word. Immobile? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking isometric, but that just means it moves equally. <laughs> Pulling out my Scrabble words at this point. So anyway, <laughs> it's, it's highly stable. It's very hard. But again, it is a little bit brittle. That baked stuff or thermally modified, torrified, whatever you want to call it. Torrefaction is the name of the process. So thermally modified wood has started to gain a lot of popularity. Again, in the same kind of window and door world, a little bit of siding type world. But here you're starting to see somewhat of an appearance grade species that is still appearance grade product by using things like maple and poplar. Um, hickory has been used in some respects. Cherry they're starting to play with. But it, it definitely changes the look of it. It makes it look a lot darker. The maple starts to tend towards walnut. Um, <clears throat> but it is a pretty expensive process. But it's a heck of a lot cheaper than it used to be 10 years ago. So it's starting to be a very viable option. Mm -hmm. In my experience with it, it is ridiculously hard. It's very blunting on tools. So that to me is a bit of a negative, especially as a hand tool guy. But it's also scared us away at the lumber yard because, you know, when you're running thousand linear feet of a particular molding profile and it's tearing up your blades every time you run it through there, it's something you have to be very cautious about. So the thermally modified stuff is it's it's getting better, but it's not quite there yet. It's 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 perfect for windows and doors, but maybe not so much for the woodworker yet. There is a new product. <clears throat> um, unfortunately, it has no sexy name. It's just called Fracé Noir. Wow, um, that sounds pretty sexy to me. Just rolls right off the tongue, wonderful. doesn't it? <laughs> um, it's currently being produced by a, a company in the Netherlands. Um, and Well, I should say it's being manufactured in Africa, but the holding company is, is a Netherlands company. Um, and that may not even be true. I think they brought some of it back into the Netherlands. doesn't matter. This is all irrelevant. Um, this is a product that is very similar to a Koya, how it's treated – um, it's a little, it's kind of a, a, um, a mixture between the thermally modified stuff and the chemically modified, like a Koya. So it's high heat and pressure, not quite as caustic a solution as they're using for a Koya. And you're getting a product that looks like cherry. Um, Ooh. and I'm trying to remember the actual species they use. Um, it's, it's one of those, uh, species that you would have never heard of. It's one of the secondary species that hasn't really had a need to be exported anywhere from West Africa. Uh, it's Terminalia superbia. Yeah. Yeah. Like everyone knows that species. That's Superb. the botanical name. It doesn't actually have a market name to it because it's just never had a need for it. But this is a species that is highly sustainable because it's been one of those secondary species. And when I say secondary species, I'm talking like poplar. You know, here in North America, poplar is everywhere. It grows everywhere. Alder out on the West Coast, the same type of thing. It's a species that just everywhere. It grows like a weed. It ends up being a commodity mm -hmm. species. We don't export a lot of poplar to other parts of the world because they have their own species that work just as well. Same thing happens in Africa and South America. There's all these species in the jungle that there's no market to cut them down. There's no market for them. So they just they just stay there. And the, the more valuable species become endangered as they're driving past stand after stand of these secondary species. So the big movement has been to start try to use more of these secondary species. So this Fracé Noir company has found a use to take one of these. It is a tropical species to begin with. So it's already rot resistant because it's coming out of a jungle. And then they do this process that is all you know top secret classified trademarked um and i've had some time to play with this i've got some samples in my own shop i actually have a ruler that they've made uh, as kind of like a swag giveaway this stuff it it feels like cherry it feels like cherry that like had a rough night with teak it's a little <laughs> bit oily <laughs> it's got a little bit of that kind of waxy feel that teak has to it oh. but it, it, it cuts like cherry it behaves like cherry and it is completely stable. It does not move in the slightest. Um, so I've got this tiny little like three sixteenths of an inch thick ruler made out of this stuff that has traveled the world a couple of times now because it's actually brought back by my buyer from Africa. And then it's been to Europe and it's been to the West Coast of, of this country. And now it's on the East Coast, gone through massive, massive changes. And you imagine taking a board that's like an eighth of an inch thick. And doing that to it, it would warp and cup and go crazy. And this thing is dead flat. Mm -hmm. Like it's a precision straight edge made out of wood that is really, really hard. Yet somehow through magic, it doesn't cut like it's really, really hard. <laughs> wow. Um, 
which I don't know if you guys, you know what I mean? Like hard maple is hard. It feels hard. It cuts like it's hard, but then you've got other species, cherry, it's hard, but it's not quite as hard. You know, the density is, is a little bit different. So it's a fascinating product. And the whole idea of this long diatribe is the composites are something to look out for. I think we as woodworkers, hobbyists and pros are going to start needing to pay attention to some of this stuff. There is no question that the sustainability is something we we need to be concerned about. Um, it's exciting to see these secondary species actually finding a reason for living, um, you know, because every every market that we go into abroad, you know, we have to. And I say we as a large importer of lumber, we need to be concerned about utilizing some of these other species and trying to foster additional products. Um, and, and this is, this is a great opportunity. The products that we've had to ignore in the past because they don't have the technical specs that to compete with other popular things on the market. Well, we can now, we have the, we have the technology to make a $6 million board. Sorry. (laughs) $6 million man. People probably just thought I meant a $6 million board. Yeah. No, that was a, uh, it's, it's exciting. Science. Science well, is going to make a better board. Th- this, this is point. very cool. The last paragraph here talks about some of the other things that they have been previously working on. This invent wood LLC company, super mm-hmm. clear paper for replacing yeah. plastics, photonic paper for improving solar cell efficiency by 30%, a battery and super capacitor out of wood, a battery from a leaf, transparent wood for energy efficient buildings and solar water desalination for drinking and specifically filtering out toxic dyes. Yeah. Like I mean, this, this is some all crazy technology. Cutting edge stuff. The, the same guys that did this titanium wood test have also created clear wood. Yeah. Um, part of their removing the lignans. I mean, the lignin is what really gives you a lot of the color in the wood. <clears throat> there's less lignin content in the sapwood than there is in heartwood. That's why there's a difference in color. Um, they were able to remove it all yet, re-inject something else that made it not quite so brittle. Mm -hmm. Um, I really did not like organic chemistry. So (laughs) as far as what they did, they did it. And they they now have clear wood. And they're talking about making skyscrapers out of wood. You know, and of course, one of the big things with with, um, Green Building Council and getting um, uh, economically friendly buildings and getting leads points and things like that is is all about natural light. How do you get as much natural light into the building as possible? Well, if the walls are clear... That's a one way to get natural light in. And if you're using an FSC certified sustainable wood product, you're getting even more leads points. Now there's you know these platinum leads buildings going up using just high tech engineered composite wood materials. So it's it's exciting. It's it's and and that's saying something. Working for a company that has hundreds of years of experience bringing in hardwoods, you think we would be very no hardwoods, but this is really exciting for us. Um, mm. I know we're gonna try to take as much of a presence as we can as we test some of these things and start trying to offer some of this stuff. The biggest issue, obviously, North America especially, is really stubborn. They do not like new stuff. Like, no, I've been using mahogany for years for my you know expensive furniture. I'm not going to use anything else. And it's taken 20 years of telling people, you need to use Udali, you need to use Sapili because genuine mahogany is going away. You know, and they fight kicking, screaming the whole way. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest issue with composites has been they're ugly. <laughs> right. Yeah. People want yeah. to use beautiful wood. And and this this stuff is really interesting um, to the point now where I'm starting to see a Koya start to experiment with cherry. Like they're trying to make an appearance grade a Koya product. So it's exciting. It's all Next about the look, five, baby. Five, ten years could be really cool to see what, what, we, what we come up with. Suddenly Sounds we're not like- going to be um, – you know, it's not going to be the wood grows on trees. It was extruded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's going to be crazy. I need a 12, you know, four quarter by 12 by 19 inch board. Okay. Let me dial that up. All right, Bob, go ahead and run it. That would be be amazing. I want to do that. All right. Let's get to our emails. Um, I got one here. I'm going to kind of abbreviate it. Uh, It is from Samuel and he says his wife is an avid yogi. A boo boo. That kind of yogi. Uh, it's a basket. One, one night as she was uh, straightening her equipment, started mildly complaining about how many different props she needs for her practice. Uh, let's see. So I guess they have these blocks that they use and he wants to start making them, but he's, he's questioning what kind of finish to use. 
and he's looking for something that's durable, that would be potentially sweat-proof. And I was giving this some thought. And while you could certainly coat this thing in a lacquer or a oil-based polyurethane or something like that, I would imagine that most people who are doing yoga would probably rather see a more close-to-the-wood kind of finish. You know, like if I were making a product like this, I mean, just speaking generally, people who are into yoga probably aren't into like thick chemical finishes. So I would, I would push this if you're making anything like this. I, like I even thought about making a, um, a little yoga, not a yoga thing, a meditation bench. Um, cause, uh, Nicole and I like to meditate and, uh, they make these little benches that you can sit on that just prop you up just the right way. And it's good posture, but you know, you want to have something that's super soft to the touch, almost, almost like you would do the same thing for like a child's toy. So I would actually push you more toward oils. I would use like a natural oil. Tried and true is a brand that makes a great polymerized oil that I think would be good. Now it's not necessarily going to be like totally sweat proof, but it will still hold up. And if you need to retreat it at some point, it would be super easy just to give it a light sanding and a new coat of oil. And it's going to look brand new. But I think if you're making these for people who are into this stuff, make something that's more of an all natural kind of finish because those people tend to be crunchy type people. Crunchy. Right? So you want to make it, you, you want to make it as natural as possible. <laughs> so that's what I would do. You know, I've been practicing yoga for a year, right? Yeah. You you're a little crunchy. crunchy. Uh, I did go to school in Boulder. So, exactly. Yeah. And he, he says, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a light, durable wood species. You know what I'm thinking? Just in terms of cost effectiveness, something you can get fairly thick and it isn't going to break the bank. I don't know if the color is going to be what you're looking for, but poplar might not be a bad idea because it's going to be fairly light. You know, it's it's decent in terms of density, but it's not going to be really, really heavy. Uh, it just may not look the way you want it to look. Yeah. If you can find it, Palowina would be great. Halloweena? Oh yeah. That's yeah. only an October. The Japanese call it kiri. Oh. Um it was it was used um to make tansu chests because you know the merchants had to put them on their back and carry their wares whatever it was mm-hmm. from town to town. This stuff has incredibly low density but um due to its ring porous nature and just straight grain it's really strong. Oh okay. Um but it's one of those things you pick it up and you're like, "Oh, wow." Like it's <laughs> a quarter what you would expect it to weigh. Wow. It's like balsa weight. Um, but it's a heck of a lot stronger and, um, it's, it's actually listed as an invasive species in North America. It grows like a weed. So it's kind of a lot of, a lot of places you can find it from urban logging sources. But like, I know a couple guys up in Pennsylvania that carry it. Um, it's become a lot more popular. So look for Palowina. That would be super lightweight and it's kind of a, a nice caramel color. Give you that crunchy feel Mm, when you use it. I like caramel. Just chamfer the heiresses. You don't want sharp edges when you're like leaning forward into like warrior three on that. That's not good. Totally. Totally. All right, Matt, you're up. All right. Got one here from Mike. I guess this is more for me and Mark. Uh, Is there a project you would want to build slash look forward to building with your kids? Uh, Bag toss games, a trebuchet or pedal carts. Um, At least for me, I'm just looking forward to them wanting to do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm so far away from that. I don't know how far away I am from it, but uh, obviously they're not like, "Hey, Dad, let's go build something right now." It's like, "Hey, Dad, let's go in the shop so I can destroy everything and throw all your stuff on the floor." <laughs> so yeah. if I can get away from that, at least I'll be pretty happy. Uh, but I think a trebuchet would be like just an awesome thing to make, and I would not make like tabletop like trebuchet and like build like a big old like a pumpkin chucker. Yes. No, no, a like car chucker. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> like a big old one. Yeah, why know? stop there? <laughs> you know, we send it like a half mile down the field somewhere. Yeah, that's what I want. So I want this to. is a guy who decided he'd want a band mill and built an industrial grade <laughs> one. So, yeah. <laughs> this should be a bandsaw mill chucker is what it should be. Oh, yes. <laughs> Just that's what you use to move it. It's a lot easier. <laughs> Just throw it over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on this, Matt. I, I, anything, you know, like at this point, he's not asking for specifics. And as soon as he does, we'll do it. I'm not forcing the issue with him. I'm going to, you know, obviously have to come up with some ideas for things that might encourage him to go in there. But uh, yeah, I don't care what it is. Just having him interested in something and building together in the shop would be great. Yeah, I think it's just the time together more than anything. Totally. So even if it's not like something like... <clears throat> They don't want to do woodworking per se. I'm cool with that too. I like the, the things that we do together now. It's like, 
Oh, like last summer was let's go clean up the sawdust from the sawmill. Yeah, which was it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's I enjoyed it. It's like literally he has a shovel and he's got his little dump truck and we just put it in the wheelbarrow. That's all it is. Yeah, there you go. Doesn't matter what you're doing. It's spending quality time. There you go. All right, Shannon, you're up. Uh, This is from Ryan. He says, you guys talk about lumber resources and people complain about the cost of 12 quarter, but I haven't heard about sources for turning size pieces. Um, What are your thoughts on the the best? Whatever. Thanks for not quitting. (laughs) Sorry. My screen is shrunk down too narrow and I don't want to scroll over and read the rest of that. We got the gist of it. Um, Yeah, he's right. 12 quarter is very expensive. 12 quarter is very expensive to produce. That is why it's expensive. You know, unless you buy green, it's very time consuming to kiln dry properly 12 quarter materials. So if you buy green, you understand why it's so expensive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and it checks all to craziness on you. So um, certainly there are companies out there that specialize in turning, turning blanks. Um, there's a lot of um, exotic wood companies that do nothing but really crazy wood that you've never heard of. And in order to, to best maximize the yield or in some of these species where there there's a lot of defects for lack of a better term, you know, they can't get a long wide board or can't get an FAS board. So it gets chopped up into turning blanks. Um, my favorite is cook woods up in Oregon. I think it's Klamath, Oregon. They've got just yeah. species that I've never heard of and they always have plenty of, of turning blanks, but look no further than your local tree removal company. Um, these guys will, Usually it's, it's, they'll bucket into, you know, buck the log into smaller pieces so they can be carried out, um, into a truck. They're using the little mulcher thing for all the limbs and stuff, but the actual big part, this, the central bowl of the tree has been sawn into those smaller pieces and carried off somewhere and disposed of, or if they have like a crane or they have the the wherewithal, they're removing the entire log and taking it back to their own yard. Um, some of them don't have their own yard and, you know, they may have a contractor who has a, a place for that. Um, and they're, they're essentially chopping it into firewood eventually. Um, I drive by two of these guys on my way to work every single day and I've stopped off a couple times and most of the time they're like, yeah, you want some wood? Go ahead. <laughs> like, I got, I got please logs coming out my take ears. Take our garbage. You know, please take it. And, and nine times out of 10, it's like, how much do you want for this? He's like, Oh, you're going to pay me. So, you know, I end up giving them like, you know, money as a, as like a tip, like here's a thanks, you know, thanks for letting me dig through your oh, trash. Essentially. Like, I just took this guy for some money and he took this crap. I don't want. Oh man. Right. What a day. You know, I got, wait till I tell my friends about this idiot. I mean, I, I came back with like the hatchback of my Toyota filled with, um, small, like, uh, 12 inch diameter, 18 inch diameter, like bowl blanks. Um, for ten dollars, you know, and to the point where I had so much that I I had to end up burning some of them because they just <laughs> they they'd gotten so old and they started to check and I didn't seal them all when I should have. So, you know, find just look up tree removal services, make some phone calls, and say, what do you guys do with the logs when you take down a tree? What do you do with it? Can I get some of that wood? And you can really get some cool stuff, like stuff that isn't commercially available because it's yard trees, you know, your dogwoods and your catalpas and, you know, your odd maple variants and things like that. So look up tree supply or tree removal companies. Cool. Good tip. All right. So I think that's going to do it for the show. If you want to help support the show, you can just go to patreon.com slash woodtalk. You can pick up a t-shirt at the Wood Whisperer store. That's twwstore.com. You could also leave us a review in iTunes if you want to. Look us up and click on ratings and reviews. And uh, we have a couple. These are really good. Ready? Uh, This one says, where did you guys go? Another one says, (laughs) where are you guys? (laughs) That's a review? They're they're both five-star reviews. So they waited. Here's a hint, guys. Don't wait until the show stops airing to tell them you like them. Right? If you if you want I us had to a stay boss around, like that once. He waited to my last day to tell me he really liked me. Yeah. You jerk. This guy says, I'm a podcast killer, it seems. Spent several months binge listening to April J and Nick's podcast, and just when I caught up, they quit. So now I've spent the last 10, 11 months doing the same thing with Wood Talk, and here I am. Don't quit. So yes, we did quit. Apologies. But we're going to keep doing the show anyway, even though we quit. <laughs> All right. We so, issues. Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here? 
Absolutely. There are many, many, many different ways you can contact us. If you have comments, questions, or topics, or suggestions, there's several ways you can do that. You can send us a voicemail using your voicemail mobile app at woodtalkonline at gmail.com. Use our fancy contact form. I can't keep that up. Sorry. Come on. Do it's it. Like keep going. I don't micro- do it. It doesn't say micro machines. It's not the real thing. Dude, you won't believe what I was just queuing up as you were saying that. Go ahead. Uh, we, we, we think too much alike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you don't want to use your new fangled voice memo app, or if you're Diami and don't have one on your Zoom, you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash contact. Leave a comment there, or just go to our website, woodtalkshow.com. You can catch us on Instagram. You want to go on Instagram lately, folks. There's been some real can't can't get that out of your eyeballs type images there. Mm, good uh, stuff. We are we are at Wood Talk Show um, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and are we in that what's the new thing called Verve? google plus no that did exactly what i thought it would do it was there for a section it was there for three days and no one's talking about it anymore (laughs) it's so memorable that i don't know it's called exactly as predicted all right so let's close out with this i hope it sounds good man presenting the most midget miniature motorcade of micro machines each one has dramatic details terrific trims defender styling precision paint jobs working wheels micro machine cars of vast variety including lamborghini trans am corvette rover four blades a pickup charger and many more micro machine planes polished perfect precision like f-15 corsair space shuttle p-51 mustang micro machine boats fabulous fleet of tugs pts and speedboats Talk about small. Micro machines are less gargantuan than a grip. Hopper's midget is a marvelous smaller than a silver dollar. Hey, Dad! You want to get more micro machines to add to our collection? Yeah! A miniature midget colossal collection of micro machines. Collect them, trade them, read them. The micro machines set sold separately from Galoob. Oh, dude. I used to have some serious micro machines back then. That's awesome. Doesn't say micro machines is not the real thing. Love that guy. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. Bye bye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.